congregation, our family. Um, we are glad that you're here and just want to call your attention to several announcements. If you'll pay attention in the worship guide, there are several things that you need to take note of. Um, this Wednesday night is a business meeting for you, um, but the um, children and the students all start back on Wednesday nights. And so if you have children coming in, there's a party going on, and then also our student ministry. If you have um, seventh graders coming in, they, they'll start this Wednesday night. So I hope that you'll be a part of that. It's always an exciting time. You can see all the other things that are happening, and we just encourage you to take note of each one of those and be involved in them. But we're glad that you're here. Um, why don't you stand up and move around and greet everybody? We're glad that you're here today. I don't normally start a service on a somber note, but I felt like I had to be here today. Um, somebody asked me if I was Rick Lance, and uh, that's not the somber note. I said, no, Rick is going to be here preaching, and he's our executive director, executive director of Alabama Baptist. He's been there for 25 years, and I'm thankful for him and our friendship over the years, especially as I got to serve with him as president and I'm thankful for your character and I can tell you our state is in good hands and the reason that we don't have all the things and the splits and all the things that other state conventions have gone through I'm convinced is God's blessed Rick's ministry so Rick thank you for being here and I'm excited that he's going to be preaching today um, but in the last few months this this service has lost some key players in the ministry at First Baptist. Bill Gossett, Lawrence Fields, Beth Golden, um, A.L., and now Rita Foster. And I just wanted to be here and to read this psalm and to pray with us. Her funeral is Thursday. Um, she missed very few Sundays all the way through the chemo. She set an example for us, the priority of worship and the joy of worship. Sitting here and watching, knowing what she was going through, and yet the smile on her face as she worshiped the Lord speaks to us this morning. And then to see Ronnie sitting right here on this morning. Ronnie, we love you and we're praying for you. But I wanted to read this and pray together because I wanted us as a church to pray for Ronnie and pray for his family, um, his son and daughter-in-law as well. Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. 
The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. You have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke, I'm greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of the saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You've loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people in the courts of the house of the Lord in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, we come before you with the psalmist and we admit that you are gracious and righteous and merciful. Those that we love have been brought low and yet you saved them here on earth. And because you saved them on earth, you've saved their souls. And we thank you that you have dealt bountifully with our loved ones who have gone on before us. We thank you, Father, that Jesus said, if you believe in me, you live and you never die. And while we grieve the passing of Rita and all these who have gone on, who worshiped with us in this very room, we know that you've delivered their soul from death. You've delivered their eyes from tears and their feet from stumbling. You've, you've delivered our sister's body from cancer. And she's in glory, and we thank you. I pray for the choir. I know how hard it is to lose someone you love and minister with for so many times. And I pray today as they sing, they'll remember that the one they love so much is singing in the eternal choir. And I pray for Ronnie. Lord, I pray for Rory, for Dale and Sunday. I just ask God that you would strengthen them with the hope of the resurrection and strengthen them in these days. And Lord, we know that death is precious in your sight. And, and while we don't find it precious, we know that it is a precious thing to be in your presence. Father, it's a great reminder to all of us that we have no guarantee of tomorrow. While we all are here and plan on being here next week, there's no guarantee that we will. So I pray that we will live with eternity in mind. God, would you set our minds on eternity? And even as we sing today, Lord, even as we come to moment and Hear the choir sing, he's all I need. You are all we need, Jesus. You, you calm every ache and heal every pain. And I pray, God, that you would do that even today. That you would bless us in this time of worship. For we do not, we do not serve a dead Savior. We serve a risen Savior. 
And Jesus, because you've risen, all of us who trust in you will rise well as well. So in that hope we sing today, yes, with hurt hearts, even with grief. But we, we do not grieve as those with no hope. We grieve with the certainty of a resurrection and with the certainty of your abundant life awaiting us. So bless this time. Bless the choir. Bless this call to worship. And help us, Lord, to worship you as you deserve to be worshipped. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is the word of the Lord. Scripture this morning comes from Joel 2, 28-32. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. 
Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to bleed before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape. And the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. This is the word of the Lord. called to preach and he said there was no doubt no denying he will remember that day Josh I know for the rest of your life you'll remember that day and how many of you remember the time when you felt Jesus calling you and remember where you were and what you were doing you remember that day and then since that day the one who called you has been worthy of our worship for all of that time. Remember that day. Remember how worthy, 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 worthy of worship. And heaven came down and glory filled your soul. Let's stand together as we sing these two great hymns.
like to read a scripture from Matthew and then try to tie that into this day. From Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. From the Sermon on the Mount. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under a bushel but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Those of you who are in the Christmas services, remember a rendition of O Holy Night that was given to us. O Holy Night is not an easy song to sing, and yet Rita shared that song with us, pastor mentioned it despite all the things that she had that she was fighting and battling in such a valiant battle, she sang O Holy Night to us and blessed us all. If there was an, ever an example of what it means to let your light shine regardless of your circumstances, that was it. This song, Shine, Jesus, Shine, it's just that. Let's stand together as we sing.
Well, good morning. I know we gather today in worship. We always worship the Lord, the one who created us, saved us, sustains us, and gives us guidance in the days we live, in the days in the future, Lord willing. Now, when I decided, uh, I accepted the invitation by John to be here, I didn't think he would be present. And I want you to know that preachers preaching to other preachers is the hardest thing to do because they've heard everything, know everything, and experienced everything. <clears throat> yeah. I <laughs> also want to tell you that you do have a, a greatly, you're greatly blessed to have the pastor you do uh, in enormous ways. I've watched him through the years as he's given leadership to you and given leadership to Baptist Life way beyond this church, the association, our state convention, even beyond and leadership on the national SBC level, and I deeply appreciate him. I also I admire the fact that you have a pastor who is willing to come back when he's needed, and today he came off vacation to be with you. Having been a pastor a number of years before, having this position, I want you to know I had to do that some, and I didn't regret it, I didn't resent it, and I know he feels the same way. So I must confess something to you this morning. Early in the week when Kim asked for the scripture and the text, I gave her one. And also the scripture, text, and a title, and I gave her one or two. And that is a text and a title. And then about Tuesday, I changed it. And then here this morning, I've changed it again. <laughs> so I'm going to just focus your attention on one verse and it's one that I have grown to appreciate. I'll tell you what happened to me, what really drew me to this verse of Scripture. You are always, in my mind at least, I'm always looking for a text that encapsulates much of who God is and what He means to us, how He works in our lives. And this text does that. It begins this way, Luke 12:32. In the New King James Version, forgive me if you have modern translations. I grew up on the old King James, and, and then 1979, 82, whenever it was, 82 I think it was, when the New King James came out, I just wetted myself to that because the these and the thous were out, and some of the sentence structures were better. But it was close enough for me to in, in Scripture memorization. So the verse simply reads, do not be afraid, little flock, for it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, that may not sound like a whole lot, but it's, it's power-packed. It has meaning beyond just those words. The phrase, do not be afraid, is one that you are well aware of. It's used prolifically all across the Old Testament and the New Testament because one of the major problems we have as individuals, even created by God, is that we have fears. When I was in seminary back in the 19th century, I was in a class that they wanted us to, it was one of those group classes, and, and I thought it was really not that interesting to me, but it came to the place where we had to do a project, and that is we had to list our five greatest fears, and then we would be in a, a group and we'd discuss those fears. Now, I want you to know, I was fearful of discussing my fears. 
because I had so many of them. A lot of people talk about the fear of dying as being the worst, or fear of death being the worst we have. Actually, it isn't. One of the greatest fears that people have is speaking in public. If you take a poll, that's there. Now, I don't know how I ranked mine, but I'm going to tell you one of my greatest fears. I'm claustrophobic. I didn't know it too much. In my early years, I, I sensed something of it, but I used to dream about being caught in small, con confined places where I couldn't have much room to move around. This has enveloped me sometimes when I've been on an airplane. I can tell you one of the more prominent recollections I have is that I was in a middle seat in a three-seat arrangement. I always liked the aisle seat, but I got in the middle, and I had a football-playing lumberjack-looking guy on the left side that when he spread out, he was infringing upon my space. And then on the right side, I had a fellow who looked like he had never seen a diet in his life, and he was on the right side, and he was looking at his computer and spending time there, but the fellow on my left decided to take a nap, and his head went over on my shoulder. Now, the whole time, I'm uncomfortable. I began thinking about how that airplane, just as a flying little cube in the air, and I don't know anything about aerodynamics, but I thought to myself, this is awful. Here I am feeling like I'm closed in and I'm flying so fast, 30,000 feet in the air. And all that began to collapse upon me and I had to just pray and talk my way out of it. That's one fear. You have fears. We all do. And many have fear of loneliness and that is a legitimate one for sure. But what Jesus said is, do not, almost like a therapist, a spiritual great physician therapist. Do not be afraid. Why? He gives us a reason. He said, do not be afraid, little flock. Now, if you have a flock, you have to have a shepherd. And therefore, he's saying, do not be afraid because you have a shepherd who protects you. And then if you mention it's the father's good pleasure. There must be children. So if there's a father, there's children. And therefore, the father provides for his children. That's the second picture of God. And the third one is, if he's going to give you the kingdom, there must be a king. So you have a king who empowers his subjects. So let's just think about those three pictures of God just for a moment. We have a shepherd who protects his sheep. All of you have been around long enough, and if you've been Christians long enough, you've studied the Bible enough to know that oftentimes we're described as sheep. In the Old Testament, of course, in various places it's mentioned, one particularly, we're all like sheep who have gone astray, everyone, every one of them to his own way. That's the tendency of sheep, we recall. Sheep do not have a GPS system. They, they just tend to wander off following the food, if they will, or following a smell, or just aimlessly following nothing. So a shepherd has to keep the flock together. The shepherd has to use his rod and his staff to protect 
the sheep because the predators are all out there. It's amazing to me when Jesus wanted to give one of the major descriptors of who he is, he said, I am the good shepherd. And then he, he, he really juxtaposed himself from that of the hireling. The hireling is hired to do a job, and therefore it's really not much to him. He's punched a clock. He's going to punch out. But Jesus says, I am the shepherd, the good shepherd, who gives his life for his sheep. Now you think about that, and we read it over and over, and it never dawns on us because we, we get in a car this morning, and we drive the church, and we don't see any sheep. You have to go to a sheep farm or a ranch or whatever to see sheep. But in the day of Jesus, on those Judean hills, all over the countryside, there were shepherds taking care of their flock. On my first visit to the Holy Land, I never will forget, uh, we had Jewish guides on that one. And we came by the shepherd's field, and there was a, I saw a, a shepherd out there, and he had not many, 18, 20 sheep. And so I asked the bus driver to stop. Now, there were about 40 of us on the bus. I jumped out, and next thing you know, a good crowd's following me. And I'm glad the, the guide got out because, of course, I cannot speak Hebrew. And he, I began asking him, I said, would you ask him about his sheep? How many does he have? So we just made small talk. Then I, I told him, I said, I've always known, always read that the shepherd knows his sheep by name. Nodded his head and had a snaggletooth grin. And he started calling their names. And their little heads would just pop up. One by one, it was almost like you had poked them or something. One by one, their heads started popping up. And then I said, I've heard, I know and read in the Bible that when they hear your voice, they'll come to you. And so he let out some kind of shrill that I dare not imitate for fear I would embarrass myself. And the next thing you know, they're coming and they're, we had to get out of the way. They're surrounding him and he's, he has little treats in his hands and they're eating out of his hands and it was the most endearing example and then I walked away and I thought about sheep sheep are sentimental temperamental they are not the most intelligent animals in the world and they tend sometimes to lose their way does that sound like us but we have a good shepherd who protects us because he laid down his life for you and for me. The good shepherd went to the cross and shed his blood for his sheep. Yes, don't be afraid because you have a good shepherd. You have a shepherd who protects you with everything in his being. He gave himself for you. And therefore, if that thought is just overwhelming you and permeating your being, then your fears will begin to evaporate. We have a father who provides for us. Now, the, the, on Mother's Day, you know what happens. Mother's Day, we make a big deal out of Mother's Day. And in fact, the families tend to get together and the father takes everyone out to eat or has a place, does something, he pays for it. 
And what happens on Father's Day? Same thing. He pays for it. <laughs> there's something about, there's such a difference, forgive me, but there's such a difference between mother and father. And I understand that. I have two daughters, and they see us totally differently in a most loving way, of course. But there's certain things you just got to go to mother with. And there are some things you just have to go to father with. But we live in a day, tragically, sadly, regrettably, we live in a day when the term, the title, father, is not as well received as it was when I was growing up. We have absentee fathers. We have deadbeat dads. We have people who, men who just do not take upon themselves a role. They may be, a, they are a major part of bringing a child into the world, but that's where some of it just ends, right there. When I was in Guatemala years ago, we had a, we had a scatter out across that major area in Guatemala City, one of the largest cities, I mean, much larger than I thought it was. And there were some um, Guatemalans who wanted to take me, what the translator said was uh, on a tour. Well, I didn't know where we were going. I was the only one that didn't speak Spanish. And, and so I was riding along, and the translator in broken English, he was not really all that great of a translator, and, and he wouldn't tell me anything, and I'm just riding along here. And next thing you know, I, we get out in a real rough area of Guatemala City, and there's this huge city dump. And they got out and they looked at that and the translator says, that is one of the largest city dumps in the world. And I thought, well, what a tourist attraction. <laughs> and then they turned their attention right across the street. And we walked over there and we knocked on a steel door. I'm talking about steel. Knock, knock, knock. Down at the bottom was a little slab. slab that just opened up. And a little Guatemalan kid looked up and started speaking Spanish. And next thing, the door opened. And again, they began talking. And I'm trying to figure out what's going on here. Little kids running around like everything. And the, finally, the translator slash interpreter, best he could do, he came over to me and he says, these children are the children of the mothers we'll see in just a few moments. But they don't know who their father is. Now, my, for a moment, my heart was crushed. Think about those little children who didn't know who their father was. Later, we went up to see the mothers, and they're ones who become Christians, and they're trying to come out of the life of prostitution, and they're doing domestic duties, and they made us a meal. And believe me, I ate every bit of it. And I had, with colitis, you're supposed to watch what you eat, but colitis or not, I ate every bit of that meal. Later on, I thought about a friend of mine growing up who didn't know who his father was. His mother had been married three times and she had had three live-ins. And one day, a friend of his invited him to a Bible study and the youth pastor was talking about going over the Sermon on the Mount, and he got to 
our father, of course, in the beginning, our father. And he talked about fatherhood. And he made a statement, precocious as he was, he, he made a statement that is such power-packed with meaning. It is so much of a, a, a thrilling statement that just turned this life around, this young man's life. He said, you may not know who your father is. You may not even care about your father. But that's immaterial. What I'm here to tell you is, earthly father or not, you have a heavenly father who will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, when we become fearful, it's, it's a pause time to remember we have a heavenly father far exceeding the best father symbol you could ever imagine. Infinitely better infinitely greater, infinitely bigger, infinitely perfect. That Father loves you, and he'll never leave you. A shepherd who protects you, a father who provides for you, and then a king who empowers you with the kingdom, with his kingdom. Now, if you study anything in history about kingdoms, this is what you'll learn. There were, a time, there were times in which we didn't have democracies. Democracy was eh, Greek city-states, and then it skipped a lot of places, and there wasn't really a, a democracy as such until uh, three, two, three centuries ago. And then even that, it was fledgling. Back in the day, it was all about kingdoms, and those, those royal families intermarried. And that's why you'd have someone in Russia related to someone in Great Britain and someone in Germany related to someone in Great Britain. You'd have someone in Hungary related to someone in France. All that intermarrying. But it didn't stop them from going to war. The king had ultimate authority in most cases. And what the king did was his responsibility was to gather that kingdom to himself. To be the head of state in such a way that all of it just was drawn to him magnetically or her if she were queen. Now here's our difference in our king. Our king gives you his kingdom. What did he say in Acts 1.8? And when he comes upon you, the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses and you will share my gospel, that power of the Holy Spirit of God. I'm giving you the opportunity as my subjects to participate in the kingdom of God in such a way you are, humanly speaking, empowered to advance the kingdom of God. No other kingdoms like that. No other kingdom could survive like that. But our God, our King, is one who empowers us in such a way we become kingdom citizens who have the authority from on high through Him and Him alone to serve and participate, to witness in His name and make an eternal difference because He's the King the King of kings and Lord of lords. I want you to know when we understand how great our God is in that respect, 
we can overcome any fear in the world. I was 28 years old the day I moved to the First Baptist Church, Coleman. Now, I grew up blue collar. I didn't, I, don't know, I didn't know anything at all about doctors, except I visited them, lawyers that never used one at that time, and businessmen who owned their business. And I had a church full of them at 28 years of age. I look back and I think, mm, I need to go back and apologize to whomever's left. But the first day I was there, we were moving in, birthday, remember, celebrating my birthday, we're moving in. My wife is expecting our first child. We're in a pastorium. Nothing wrong with that. In fact, it was a great, maybe the best house we ever lived in. And a lady knocked on the door, didn't ring the doorbell, knocked on the door, and it was not, it was. So I went to the door. I had never met her. And she looked like a drill sergeant. She had that look on her face. She was very close to the pastor who had just retired after 20 years. And she had a hot apple pie. Now, I'm a chocolate person. Now, dark chocolate is supposed to help you better. I'm a chocolate person, but apple pie is fine. And <clears throat> by the way, I had ice cream on top of it, and it was about to melt. She was standing there. It was, it was August. No, it was April. And she said to me, wait a minute, before you go in, I have something I want to say to you. And I thought, okay. She put her hands on her hips, and she said, I don't know whether I like you or not. Welcome to Coleman. <laughs> well, our relationship was tense at best. There were others who had a cadre of people who just wedded to him and felt like he was not treated fairly as he's leaving. He was up in years. I was so young, and I get it. Later, we built a relationship with each other. Now, you have to understand, the reason she was so tough is her husband died in her 40s. And when he died, he left her the business and to raise a family. And it was tough work, but she fit in a man's world. And it was the kind of business that men were the only ones she dealt with. And therefore, she could be just as direct, just as honest, just as brutally candid as possible. But we built a relationship. So one day, she came up to me. Remember now, she's direct. She came up to me before Easter, and she said, you dress like an undertaker. <laughs> now, back then, I dressed in dark suits, and I tried to look older than I was. Now you can tell I'm trying to look younger than I am. <laughs> she said, I, I'm going to buy you a suit. And I thought, man, that's great. I needed one for Easter. And, she said, but I'm going with you, and I'm going to pick it out. <laughs> and that's when it got a little bit challenging. So the day came. We went to that local store, and I gravitated over to the blues, to the grays, maybe dark grays, and she headed the other direction. And she came upon a canary yellow suit. And she said, this is what you're wearing Easter Sunday morning. And I tell you, my heart stopped. <laughs> I thought, I'm going to wear that at all. But Easter Sunday? 
So Easter Sunday comes, and back then the deacons all sat on the front row, and, and they looked at their watches a lot if they were awake. And then I come walking out. I'm walking out, and they look, and they bumped each other. And so when I stood up and began to try to preach, I felt like a banana waiting to be peeled. When I went to Tuscaloosa several years later, I wore that suit a few more times because I did it for her. When I took Tuscaloosa, I took it down to Goodwill, and I said, somebody, somebody will enjoy this suit. And by the way, I saw the guy that got it. He looked a whole lot better. But I, I just thought, that's it. Well, I, hear, I get a call after I'd been in Tuscaloosa a little while. And this lady wanted me to come see her at UAB. And I walked in the room, still had that strong, kind of rigid, direct voice. And she said, I've been waiting on you. Why did it take you so long? And I said, well, I had some things this morning I had to do, and, but I'm here. And I knew kind of how to deal with her by then. And she said, well, I guess you know my situation. And I don't have long to live. And she said, you are going to do my funeral. I don't care where you are. If you're in Israel, if you're in Russia, you're coming home to do my funeral. Now, I don't know how she would make me do it after she's gone, but she, and I, I, I consented to do that. But what happened next helped me deal with fears. She looked at me and she said, Pastor, her tone of voice changed. She said, Pastor, I want you to know I've lived a tough life. It's been lonely. I did the best I could to raise my family. I know I was harsh, harsh with you and harsh with others, but I was just the way I was wired. I'm not going to apologize. I just will tell you that's just who I am. But I am going to confess to you and to you alone that I'm afraid. Now, June was a devout Christian. And she said to me, I'm afraid. That tough, strong, steel magnolia said she was afraid. Then she said, I said this, I said, what are you afraid of? She said, I'm not afraid of dying. I've reckoned with that. I'm not afraid of dying. But I am afraid of doing it all alone. And what she meant was, she saw death. She'd been lonely all of her life. She saw death as the ultimate loneliness as you make the trek. Instinctively, I just reached out my hand and grabbed hers. And I said, June, just like I grabbed your hand, Jesus is going to grab your hand and lead you into heaven. Now, if I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be here. That's the truth. And ultimately, it helps us maybe not overcome our fears, but cope with them. Because we know we have a shepherd who protects us.
a father who provides for us and a king who empowers us with his kingdom. What better antidote do we have than to know that the one who said do not be afraid is the one who can take us through our fears, our struggles, our challenges, the vicissitudes of life. And yet, at the end, we can say, thank you, Lord, for being there for me, being there with me, and seeing me home. Would you stand and let me bow in a time of prayer with you? Father God, in these moments, we know that in this array of people who have gathered in this congregation for worship, that there are those who are dealing with all kinds of difficulties. Some of them are matters in which they can't even put into words. It's just life. And some are very real, like we're experiencing today. But Lord, we realize in the midst of all this, you have a plan. You are the one to whom we go because you have the wonderful words of life. So today, our dear Father, we pray that we will give it all to you, all of ourselves, nothing being held back, all given to you. And Lord, in these moments, with these fine people who are grieving and others who have challenges they're having to deal with, help them to know you are the good shepherd who protects us. You are the father, the perfect father who provides for us. You are the king who empowers us. And because of that, we do not have to be afraid. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And may in this response time, people who publicly or privately need to make some kind of decision for you, to trust you as Savior, to repent of sins and come to know you, we pray for them. We pray for those who are grieving and might need prayer support. We pray for those who are facing all kinds of challenges ahead of them and they don't even know how to describe it. We pray for those who need recommitment of their lives because they've grown stale and stagnated in their Christian experience. We pray for those who need to become a part of this fellowship. To you and to you alone, we give honor and glory, for you are worthy of worship. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I have decided to follow Jesus.
thinking about the father part. And before the service, Amanda asked me if she wanted me to scoot over so I could sit by dad. And I said, no. I said, As a child, if I had to sit by him, I was in trouble. And I don't ever sit by him in church anymore out of fear still. But I remembered, I remembered the protection of a father, how it makes us bold. We've been given the kingdom. And as we go out this week, we have the father who should make us bold. We were walking up Bechtel Boulevard in Ocean Springs, Mississippi. I was leading the way. Mom and dad were walking behind me. And I came across this bully. Usually I avoided that bully. I was afraid of him. But dad was behind me. So I tied into it with him. I got him. We rode over in the ditch, and I was on top of him. I was giving him everything I had. And all of a sudden, I felt this hand reach down and grab me by the shirt and jerk me off. And I looked around, and it was my dad. Now, I was emboldened with the bully because dad was right there. I said, why did you pull me off? I was on top. He said, I thought he was on top of you. <laughs> so I would encourage you to go out today. We have a father who's always with us. It ought to make us bold. It ought to make us strong. Let's go out and fight that good fight. And, and remember as you give today, on the ushers at the door, that what Jesus said, fear not, little flock, was right after he talked about giving everything to the kingdom. So let's give and trust him. And let's remember, Ronnie, we're praying for you. Lord, we're praying for you. Your family, we're praying for you all, each of you. And I want you to know we love you. And um, um, funerals... Thursday here at 2 o'clock. Visitation's at 11, so let's make sure we support them. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this time together in your word. And we ask, Father, that you would bless us and help us not to be afraid. Help us to live boldly for you. And God, thank you for Rick. I thank you for his ministry, his years of service in Alabama. And I pray that you continue to give him guidance with Alabama Baptist. Thank you for our convention. Bless our Sunday school time now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ushers will be at the door. Rick will be right here at the front. Come by and talk to him for a moment.